0: Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1131. With guests Ian Cooper, Amy Palamountain, Scott Hanselman, Sebastian Lambla, and James Nugent. Recorded
0: Tuesday... April 14th, 2015. Hey, this is Carl. I have an editor's note for you about this show. We had about 15 minutes to get six microphones hooked up for recording and for PA. And as things happened, a couple of things got messed up along the way. One, we didn't have time for a better no framework. And number two, Ian Cooper's mic was off when he uh, announced himself and that recorder wasn't recording. So yes, we had multiple recorders on this one. It was, it was quite a feat. So, uh, sorry about the Better Know Framework, and when it comes time for Ian to introduce himself, I will introduce him. Other than that, enjoy the show. Hey, Portland! It's done now! you guys are troublemakers i can tell especially this guy right here mr hack somebody let him and he's the only person who beat the person next to him i should say hey richard hey buddy how you doing i'm well how are you
2: i am in awe of this crowd and his enthusiasm
0: yeah and you know what i'm in awe of portland this is a weird and cool city do you think have you guys ever heard of four-way intersections? No. <laughs> what is with only stop signs going one direction? What is up with that? I, yeah, you got to be careful if you're from the East Coast and you come out here. You expect a stop sign on all four road on all four directions, right? No. And every other one, it's not enough that there's only two. Now they stagger it so one. Block, you have a stop sign. The next one, the other guy has a stop sign. Oh, my God. How do you people drive? Yeah, great. All right. Well, at least you got rain, so you got that going for you. Big thanks to Glenn and Troy. It's been a great show. Hey, buddy, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, read the comment.
2: Okay, comment first. And uh, this comment is from show 1107, the one we did with Mads Christensen when we talked about ASP.NET vNext. Very open source appropriate. This comment comes from Andre Rusiek, who says, you're going to love this. Uh, Visual Studio has been my favorite IDE for many years now, and I'm really glad to hear its web dev experience is getting better and better. I enjoy using it on my side projects, but now that I've strayed from the .NET world for my day job, I really miss it. However, with all the changes happening at Microsoft, particularly around .NET, I think Visual Studio is starting to show its age and could benefit from being the next product to go through a major overhaul. On the surface, Visual Studio looks great and supports more and more features, but when one starts to look into extensibility, the experience is rather dreadful. Documentation is poor and often vague. Do I use the managed framework? That was released when Visual Studio hit RTM and has never been updated since? Or do I work with the COM object stuff? Is life too short for COM? I think life's too short for COM. It takes a lot of time and effort to become good at extending Visual Studio, and I don't think this compares favorably with the likes of GitHub's Atom, which runs on all platforms, including most of its plugins. It's nice to see support coming along for things like Grunt, Gulp, and Bower, but JavaScript development is still immature in the constant evolution as a pace that Bower, for example, may be supplanted by something like JSPM. By the time Visual Studio 2015 comes out. We just talked about that too, didn't we? And unless I missed it, Maz didn't talk about support for ES6. He didn't, but you know, we certainly have. I suppose that's where Web Essentials steps in, but it still doesn't compare with the experience offered by Atom or Sublime where one can fine tune their setup with smaller single purpose plugins. Microsoft has been surprising us a lot in the past few months. My wish is that they announce that Visual Studio post-2015 will be a complete rewrite using .NET all the way. And who knows, when .NET is is going to Macs and Linux, maybe Visual Studio will, too. So, Andre, thank you so much for a comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or on our neighbor mobile apps, as we've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. Uh,
0: We are going to uh, let this esteemed panel introduce themselves, starting with Mr. Cooper on my left. And again, Ian Cooper's microphone wasn't being recorded this time, so I will introduce him now. Ian Cooper has over 20 years of experience delivering Microsoft platform solutions in government, healthcare, and finance. He's a passionate exponent of software craftsmanship and agile architecture. When he's not writing code, he's the founder of the London.NET User Group and speaks at events throughout the UK.
3: Okay, hi, I'm Amy. Um, I'm a programmer at GitHub, and I work on GitHub for Windows, and I'm from New Zealand. Yeah.
1: I'm um, Scott, uh, I've worked at Microsoft almost seven years, I uh, live in Portland, I've been here for 42 years and um, before I worked at Microsoft I worked in uh, retail banking and brought a lot of open source to large banks.
4: I'm Serial Seb, I started my love affair with .NET in 2000 with the first beta, I released an open source web framework called Open Raster back in 2006. I attempted to release a package manager in 2010, uh, and since then, uh, I'm on counseling. <laughs> oh, I write code, apparently, sometimes. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh,
5: James Nugent uh, from London. I work on a product called EventStore, which is a database uh, written primarily in .NET, um, it's a time series database that's used a lot for event sourcing.
2: All right, panelists, uh, let's start with the list of questions, uh, and I want input from everybody on this one. Uh, What's the state of open source and .NET
5: community today? I'd love to start with you, James, actually. Okay, so I think it's important to distinguish between, um, so I don't think you can say that there's a single state of open source in .NET. This morning was the first time I've actually been excited by an announcement from Microsoft for a very long time. The LLVM compiler for .NET is awesome. Mm -hmm. That, That will... If they'd done that five years ago, I think we'd be looking at a very different state of .NET. You can applaud for that. I think the LLVL is amazing, too. (laughs) As it is, there are areas where .NET is very innovative. In particular, front-end development. Some of the patterns that .NET developers have brought to the wider communities are substantial. The the MVVM pattern, for example, which seems to have invaded JavaScript. Uh, The async and await patterns, which, despite my issues with them, have made their way into ECMAScript, that's all very innovative, and WPF is genuinely probably the best UI platform around for building anything. On the other hand, the distributed system state is poor. Uh, Why do we not have innovation in the same way as the JVM community? And it's hard to tell. I think it's largely the fault of Windows. Um, Hopefully, once we start being able to build things natively and run on uh, operating systems which are not actively hostile to operations, then things will improve substantially. Um, but there's a, there must be reasons why things like Zookeeper and Kafka and all these distributed systems which almost all companies working at scale depend on, um, uh, there must be a reason why they're built on the JVM, and I don't think it's purely because people like the syntax of Java or even of Scala, frankly. There's more to it than that, and we're not going to fix that any time soon, sadly. All takes time.
2: Right. Seb,
4: you got position? Me no. in opinion? She's such a restrained not. fellow. <laughs> I think, I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a fundamental that has not really changed enormously over the last 10 years of open source. There is the state of the open source community separate from Microsoft, and then there's Microsoft. Now, Microsoft has its own story, it's on its own timelines, and now they're doing really cool stuff. They did a lot of not cool stuff for a long time. Uh, the rest of the community that lives on the outskirts (laughs) that is starting to work with Microsoft on the Microsoft projects still doesn't seem to be very often full of resources to to go their own way. And I think we have a very different, uh, we have a very special uh, open source community. This kind of stuff would have been unheard of uh, back in the old L.net. They're not used to an open
0: Microsoft at all, are they?
4: It's very new. It's very new for them. It's very new for us. There's, uh, I think it's it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a couple that divorced and is now in counseling. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, but I think, I, think, I think the important thing for me is not so much Microsoft, because they seem to be doing the right thing now, or at least trying very hard. Uh, I think for me it's the rest of the community that could be building things without Microsoft and without needing the permission or the money of Microsoft to do things, that it just doesn't seem to be taking ground the same way it does on other platforms.
0: Amy, you're, uh, you're, you could come from a different place. Tell us what your background is here and your thoughts on the subject.
3: Um, well, I guess my thoughts on the subject are it kind of feels like the lights have been off for a very long time and they've just suddenly come on and we're all like, oh open source, what is this? There's like a handful of people that have been involved in open source for the last, I don't know, five to seven years actively, but the wider community hasn't really been taking part uh, actively, and at this point, I feel like we're just figuring it out, right? We're figuring out what it means as a wider community to contribute to open source projects, as businesses, what it means to contribute to open source projects, and it's gonna take some time to figure out.
2: Definitely in the motion, um, Scott. I'm going to leave you last because I want to talk to Ian first because you know you get to go last. So I, I think you know I think it is really important to celebrate Microsoft's Rose of Damascus
6: moment and the fact that, that they've chosen to embrace open source. And I think you know we are a, kind of a, a turning point for the .NET community where hopefully that means people will feel much more uh, able to deploy open source into their organisations and to feel comfortable contributing towards open source. So I think we have to do that, as I think as a community, we, we risk uh, irrelevancy if we are not uh, we don 't have a thriving uh, ecosystem i, I think there 's one other point we talk a lot about .NET open source, but I think you know when people talk about uh, deploying applications, what they need is a full ecosystem. Uh, which may include uh, open source products written in other languages, and it doesn't really matter to me whether what, quite what Redis is written in, for example. just—it's important that I can deploy it. So another obstacle to us is this problem of what's the Windows open source ecosystem like? And you know, in some cases that as Microsoft's working really hard to try and improve that story and putting dollars into uh, pushing the, those uh, platforms to come onto uh, Windows. But it's also important that we, in the, in, in, as .NET developers, have some kind of Linux story because there's still a huge amount of uh, open source products that you may want to use that run in that environment, not on Windows today. Right. And they go hand in hand. We have to have a Windows OSS ecosystem and a .NET OSS ecosystem.
2: Yeah, and I think that's getting more diverse, too. And it we're, is, yeah. We're in, in motion here. Mr. Hanselman. Sir. Sure. How's the state of the open source community these days in the .NET world?
1: I want to listen a little longer before I talk okay. so that I don't misspeak.
0: Well, I, I have a, uh, a scenario for you, and tell me if I'm off the mark here, but it seems like you know the operating system Windows being what it is and having gone where it's gone, starting with uh, King Sanofsky and uh, that failed attempt to sort of get everybody over to Windows, the think The overstated. idea that Windows should be more free, should be more open, should be you know uh, free SKUs at the lower end. You, do you think Microsoft sort of got backed in? Any of you can comment on this if you want. Microsoft sort of got backed into that open source thing, as a or is it a natural progression that started with, you know, guys like Phil Hack and you, Mr. Hanselman, and you know, supporting open source, Scott Guthrie, embracing well, open source.
1: You have to back up though, because there's a couple of things that you've Set there. Yeah, Mac is not free. Sure, Mac is not free on the low end. Right, Mac is not open source. It does have a POSIX subsystem and has a Bash shell, but other than that, and being really pretty and having great hardware, you know, it succeeded without being free on the low end. Mm, So this idea that everyone needs to give away Windows for make making up for it to be open source, I think, is a fallacy. Yeah. That's one opinion. Okay. I don't work in the Windows department. Um, were we backed into it? I- again, I've said this before publicly. It's my opinion. But don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to incompetence. <laughs> yeah. Microsoft is not nearly as organized as we would need to be yeah. to be as evil as you think we are. <laughs> <laughs> you said
0: so.
2: I am surprised at how much in that first set of statements that Windows came up in this. Because at the same time, and Seb, you just did this talk yesterday talking about, Owen oh, and in, in general, there's this is a bigger conversation going on about running .NET on Linux and not necessarily running Mono. Uh, I mean, isn't this a real thing now? Do I, as a, as a
1: systems guy, just not
2: have to think about what, having Windows when I want to run .NET? What does
1: Microsoft, how does Microsoft make money? 10 years ago it was Windows licenses and office and today it's going to be compute. Microsoft right. wants to sell you Windows, Office, Xbox. And if you don't want to buy any of those things, well then maybe you'll run Linux VMs in Azure. Right. That's it's it's simple as that. It really is. There's no like secret I've been in the secret meetings where the Microsoft people go like this. <laughs> Uh, they, You're not invited to the right meetings. Huh? I think I'm at the right meetings. And it's fun, <laughs> fun, fun, fundamentally, it's services now. You right. know? So yeah, you run Linux, knock yourself out. And if you run .NET on Linux and do interactive debugging with Sublime on Linux, I don't care. You can run Node on Linux, just run it in Azure.
2: I'm kind of staggered by... The, the announcements around their Docker implementation already. I'm yeah. kind of surprised they got done that fast. But now I, mean, I think for folks living in the Microsoft stack, we've got to figure out containers in a big hurry because it's a very different way to
1: think. It's, it'll be handled. I'm not worried about it.
0: Is, uh, what's the Silicon Valley reaction to Microsoft's new openness?
1: Did anyone hear from Silicon Valley? I I s- s- I've TV program. Valley, Am I the only American on the thing? Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is the this is the Commonwealth Mafia. Do so I have to uh, you have to represent
1: Portland and the Bay at the same time.
3: <laughs> I think we've got the Queen Cupboards. Yeah.
4: We
1: had a meeting this All morning where we were. Um, going, All right. Let me, let me hang on. Let me, let me try to get into San Francisco. So, like, basically...
6: what I can say what I can uh, know about from talking to various VCs about startups and what their interest is. I mean, outside of... Uh, centers like London, I think a bit of New York, maybe places like Austin, where essentially you have a pool of .NET developers from a history of particularly financial services industry. I don't think startups today are looking at the .NET ecosystem as a way to deliver. Um, today, the, the kind of like tool of choice seems to be Golang. Um, and the question, is, it is an open question for our community as to what would change that I think if you're building a startup today, one of the things you're interested in is cost. So you want to have a, a stack which you know is low cost free, doesn't lock you into you know, particular IDEs. We're making a lot of inroads. The OmniShark project are great where we're actually trying to liberate people to make that happen. Right now, it, it's not the obvious choice. Um, but I don't think that says that it couldn't be. There's a lot of Uh, I mean, most people you talk to say they think C-sharp and F-sharp are really great languages. Mm -hmm. They say the CLR is a, you know, pretty good runtime. So there's obviously an obstacle, which is stopping them leveraging that and leveraging the pool of talent that exists in .NET. And we have to work to eliminate that. And a lot of that is your startup costs. And programs like BizSpark are great, but really what you need is someone to be able to just download the stuff they need and get started.
2: No. Well, and the open sourcing of the stack is sort of yeah. going in that direction, right? Exactly. Is this as well. Is this really what's going to take to strengthen the strength in the ecosystem as a whole? I mean, where's the weaknesses? Um, I think the
6: weaknesses today are if I want... I have, I'm, I'm quite locked into Visual Studio. We need to break that kind of .NET Visual Studio lock-in. I can't deploy to Linux as well as to Windows. I need to, we need to break that part of the model. And I need to feel that um, from kind of soup to nuts from a web server to um, a database to I I have a pool of libraries that let me make choices Um, today there's quite often only one choice in each of those areas and that isn't necessarily going to work I think we're getting much better but but I think as a community we, we don't necessarily have the vocabulary to say which one of those in which slots would we pick to make those choices and I think some of us have that, but I don't know whether that's a broad knowledge. Uh, so we run, you know, we deploy on Unix and on Windows, and we run a heavily OSS.NET ecosystem, and we're a, you know, I guess we're a startup, although, uh, you know, we're still under VC funding. And that story is, we've quite a few success stories in London doing that, but I don't know how common that understanding of how to build, how to build that is.
5: and it's sure. to get that knowledge out more. James? So, um, I guess I'm slightly unusual in, I've never used Windows as a desktop operating system. Um, so just by it makes been, you a rare bird, I, I would say. I don't uh, think so. Yeah, think uh, there's a lot of Mac. I, so there. now I think there are a lot of Mac users. So I, I started doing .NET in using Vim before OmniSharp was around, I guess two thousand and three, four kind of time. And back then, that was not much fun, frankly. Um, the, the language is kind of designed yeah. for. I, yeah. <laughs> um, the language is designed uh, for IntelliSense, which is fair enough. Although, even in Visual Studio, I turn IntelliSense off because it rots the brain, frankly. Um, It it allows people to get away with not finishing their job. Um, The the documentation is poor. The documentation is is the work of technical writers who have never had to use their product and never had to read their own documentation in order to figure out a problem. Now the framework source is available, this is a very different story, though, because you can go and work out what the problems are or where the edge cases are. You could never do that before without a decompiler and you're technically committing a crime at that point. I'm
0: interested. What documentation are you comparing it to?
5: uh, there are two that I think are excellent right now. The first is the documentation for Go, which has uh, great pragmatism. And um, because it's community driven, I guess, in that you can s- the, the documentation is in files that accept pull requests and go via code review, you can, uh, it tends to be that if you have a problem, you can go and look at the documentation. It's a normal thing to do to go and read the documentation rather than just rely on some kind of IntelliSense mapping to get right. you through of figuring out what's there. Um, and the the documentation tends to focus on the actual problems people face on a day to day basis got it on the other hand the, the reason that the reason that I think OmniSharp is a big step forward for people who are um, who are on .net, so I was a reasonably early adopter of that, uh, luckily because, uh, just by chance because I managed to meet Jason Emerson in a pub in London and he set it up for me because trying to set that thing up used to be a nightmare. It's a lot easier these days. So I think things like OmniSharp will improve the situation in, in terms of openness. So in terms of Silicon Valley, I think there's a, so I started recently working with a company who, you know, everything is built on Java and uh, more recently Go, everything's deployed on Linux in AWS. Um, I asked about Windows support for this thing and they looked at me like I was crazy. You know, it's something they genuinely had never considered as a it's thing. Just not on the radar. It's just, you know, it's not there. I mean, we, we do customer surveys to work out what things we should be targeting. We build monitoring systems. And overwhelmingly, the companies that uh, are of the size that are gonna pay us any money worth having are not using Microsoft products because they're working at such scale that you can't. Um, the, even in the cloud space, so I think the Microsoft Cloud has promise, but it's not there right now. And you can't do things like run a quorum system reliably in it, because the number of availability zones was all designed with this massive slave failover type thing of Windows failover clusters in mind. And you know, you can't reliably run a quorum-based system on it, so I, what are you going to do when you need to run a distributed system? Um, it's, if they move in the direction of, of uh, the stuff they're doing with Docker is promising. The stuff they're doing with Linux is very promising. There's a lot to be hopeful for with the .NET community. Right? The, the, the CLR is excellent. The, it has things which the JVM does not, like value types, which make certain types of things a lot easier. The language support, you know, I think the, the CLR introduced the concept of a multi-language runtime, give or take, and that spread very well. But they've never, uh, so they, I guess, as in Microsoft, or we as a community, have never managed to line all these advantages up to actually get them to the point where we can push them
4: home and make this stuff mainstream. I think that's the main thing, is it feels like the community has been a a group of children following their teachers um, in a a little row. I don't know how you say it in English. And now Microsoft is opening uh, the class to the world. And the kids are all looking at the bright lights and not understanding what's going on because there's not, there's not a little structure in a little box. When you were a .NET developer, you were a .NET developer. I've stopped being a .NET developer a long time ago. I'm a developer. I happen to like C Sharp. I happen to not like Windows. Now that .NET is going to be available on Unix, I can actually start pushing more for having the tools I enjoy, and I enjoy statically typed languages, um, on, on my platforms. Now, there's the psychological aspects of using Microsoft, you don't change the reputation of a company that has had the past it has had uh, as quickly as you can write .NET for Unix. So I,
3: I wonder whether, like, we as a community can, like, help to change the perception of uh, being a .NET developer. Like, one of the things that I frequently experience is I'll meet people at conferences, and they'll be like, wow, you work at GitHub. And I'm like, yeah, I work on .NET. And they're like, oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: they're, like,
3: really excited until they learn that. And it, it, it makes me really sad. It really does. But I feel like uh, that just comes out of ignorance, right? Like, we are, as a .NET community, building a lot of really cool cool stuff right we're we're pushing boundaries that people just don't even know about right and it, i think it comes down to sharing that in an open source way
0: this portion of net rocks is brought to you by the bug crushing superpower that is ray gun if you're wanting to detect and diagnose errors and crashes in your software even find problems that you didn't know existed to improve your software, then Raygun may be perfect for you. Add a few lines of code to your application, and in minutes you'll get real-time error reports with all the information you need to fix bugs fast. You can even hook it up to your team chat, bug tracking and development workflow tools. Raygun covers all major web and mobile programming languages and platforms, including .NET, the full Xamarin stack, JavaScript, and many more. Go check out Raygun today at raygun.io and say hello for us.
2: So is there no substitute here than just build more software? And share it. Demonstrate what's possible?
3: Share it. Yeah. Make it open source. Get it out there.
2: I think we don't talk about our community successes
6: enough as well. I mean, James was talking about the back-end innovation, but I think it's important to remember that, you know, people like Greg uh, Young with ideas like CQRS and event sourcing, those have flowed out right across the board into other communities like Java, and I don't, I expect half those guys don't know that the .NET community were the real champions of those ideas in the first place. I think the other danger for us is that we have to be careful when we uh, look at the wider .NET community. Just, you know, the thing they talk about, the chasm which you have to cross in terms of adoption, and I guess for a lot of people, part of the issue is we have to say, well, what, you know, I'm doing my job day-to-day delivering something in .NET. Why do I need any of this open source ecosystem? How does it make my life easy? Why, why would I invest in it? We do have to win that argument of saying to people, hey, there's a load of open source tooling out there which is really valuable to you to actually solve problems that you have today in terms of delivering to your customers. Um, and. That's a lot about, I think, creating awareness around those projects and what value they have. And I think the fact that Microsoft is now very much engaged in the open source community means I think we need to hope that they begin to look at uh, championing those projects as ways of solving problems instead of necessarily proposing their own alternatives. And that's one thing that I think we, you know, when we look at the past that was genuinely potentially a problem was we saw community projects um, struggling to, to try and gain traction written by people who are very enthusiastic and positive about open source, kind of being crushed a bit by the Microsoft Gorilla. And then we talked about this before, I think, quite a lot. And we need to really hope that in going forward, I know Scott's been a real you know, champion of uh, OSS projects, and I think he's done some great work to really try and get the word out there. But we all need to really work on trying to say, hey, there's this community project that solves that problem. So let's just all support that community project and solve that problem. You know, we saw some really great demos from the ACA.NET guys while mm-hmm. we've been here. Really impressive stuff we really need to get behind, as a community, people like doing stuff like Acker and say, well, look, we, got, right, we do have an you know, actor-based solution. Let's all, when people are asking those questions, let's all say, go and talk to the Acker guys. They know what's going on. Um, let's not try
2: and essentially, you know. Don't build another one. Yeah. No need to. I, I guess one of the questions on this then is, how much of this effort is about bringing open source to, quote, traditional .NET developers, and how much of this is bringing .NET to open source developers?
5: I think there's a bit of both at work there. So if you go back to sort of 2005, 6 sort of time, the large rump of dark matter developers, such as they've become known. Um, were not interested in anything that didn't come out of the Visual Studio installer. The, um, now these days it's a lot more common for people to use open source tooling just in the day-to-day course of their work. So how many people, for example, work on a uh, back-end in .NET but use node, uh, node package manager for pulling in front-end packages, for example? So I think some of the community is coming to those people just as a natural consequence of people building modern web apps rather than, um, rather than you know, web forms and that kind of thing. On the other hand, there's the... You know, there's a large rump, of, uh, not a rump, I guess. I guess there's a large group of people who are excited about the CLR and who build distributed systems and who are really, frankly tired of the JVM. I mean, despite Oracle, Oracle are doing their best to kill that as far as I can tell. <laughs> there is literally no excuse for adding in the Ask toolbar installer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's 2015. What are we doing? Um, so I think if if .NET becomes, if the promise that's shown by things like the LLVM compiler uh, bear out, and there isn't some kind of change in direction um, a little later, as has been previously the case, then I think the the .NET will spread very rapidly, very in a very far-reaching manner, and the discussion in five years' time here will be very different. Yeah, Scott, I, I, you're
0: brooding there like uh, you have something roiling going on in your brain that you need to get out.
1: I think that the people in this room probably represent the top half a percent of developers. And with respect to the people on the, on the panel as well, uh, I think that your job is not to think about the other 99.5% and that is literally my job. I know that some people don't like the term that I coined called dark matter developer, but that is a thing. And while I understand that high-end startups are going with Go, uh, the reality is I'm not worried about Go. I'm worried about PHP. Uh, I was at two colleges in Atlanta a couple of days ago at hackathons, and it was a mix of Macs and a mix of PCs, it was a largely non-denominational crowd, and people used Python and PHP. So for every Go system being built, I suspect that there are probably 10 or 20 PHP ones. So I just want to make sure that people don't forget the great unwashed and that they need our help as well. So while we are having trouble building Quorum-based distributed systems in Azure, There are people who are trying to get CRUD done in PHP, and I'd like to get those people on Azure and maybe using .NET. So I just want to point out the difference in priorities of people on the
4: panel and the people in the room.
0: And Microsoft can market to both groups. Absolutely. And they
4: I thought we were talking about open source .NET, not Microsoft. I think that's that's a key point. We're talking about growing open source in .NET. We're not talking about Microsoft selling products. Yeah. So when we say that your job is to market PHP developers to get them on web pages or whatever it is these days that exist on that platform, my job as an open source developer is to grow the open source community so that Microsoft doesn't have to provide the yeah. product. Well, Microsoft so doesn't have to provide the web page. My mar- job is Marketing. to get
1: open source.net as part of the conversation, because when a 15-year-old goes to the Flatiron school to learn coding, they sit down and they write Java Go, PHP, Python, at the command line, and .NET isn't there. So my job is to get that 15-year-old to use .NET, not to get these 35-year-olds to use it.
0: So you could almost say that marketing for open source is just publishing it and it's getting more people to contribute it. To
1: attractive, it. easy, non-threatening to download, yeah. flexible, open, and reliable. It's
0: about creating the content and uh, maintaining it, not yeah, about like to marketing. To the point of,
1: like, if someone wants to go and write something in Go today, it's a great, quick download, and they've got Hello World in five minutes. But, you know, on Microsoft, it's okay. Here's 2 gig ISO. Uh, you know.
5: I, I wanna... it's, it's, it's 8 gigabytes for Visual Studio <laughs> Community Edition. Uh, I know this because I've been trying to build machine images for it for quite some time. Um, it won't install over a remote connection.
1: We will solve that.
5: Good. It will be, um, you will be able
1: to, this time next year... Download in some small two-digit number of megabytes a non-threatening-size .NET download. Do useful stuff on it. Deploy it on Linux and do
5: interactive debugging. That's great. That's that's what it generally needs. It will be needs. okay. <laughs> um, it, on the other hand, there so, s- been a tendency. So Scott,
0: so what you're saying is Silverlight is back? <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. See what it's I did? It's going to be
1: called Heavy Gold. <laughs> and <laughs> <looks> Much better. <laughs> So Until uh, you see the data grid. All right.
6: <laughs> <laughs> to to, to echo someone Scott's point there, I, mean, I can quite often make the point that um, you know, if you are applies a, in Java as well as .Net, uh, there's a huge weight of you know ten years of ecosystem and different ways and approaches of solving particular problems. And uh, what we do need is the ability to recognise that as somebody new is coming to the platform, questions as simple as, well, what do I use to do data access? are very difficult. We don't really have some, way, some clear set out place where we can go and say, okay, this is how you do all, all this particular piece of work and this is how you, you solve that problem today and ignore all the other stuff. And I think one of the potential of, uh, wins of something like .NET Core is this ability to break with that kind of past legacy. It must have been great supporting legacy for enterprise customers, but new people want to say, hey, I want a clearer set of choices and I want a clearer set of documentation that says, this is how I build a .NET app today and I don't really want
2: to worry about that past. Yeah, I feel like we're perpetually pressed against the legacy now. We've had the opportunity to have a couple of interviews with some really quite new developers who see software very differently when they're working in the Microsoft stack. Uh, and, you know, we're, I feel like we're all, everybody, certainly on this panel, walking around with some serious scars, you know, the, the, price, uh, uh, the price of these
1: years. We are. Yes, we are. The young people are. Are not. And to his point, that we need to introduce them in a way that is prescriptive and comforting and welcoming.
5: Right. To do that you need some kind of clear consensus over the over even a good way to do things. So one of the things that you find in the Go community is that the mailing list, yeah, the people who, who maintain this language and who write the standard library will answer questions on the mailing list saying, that's not how it was intended to be used, do it this way instead and you'll have a much better time. Will that
1: scale though to 10 that, million developers?
5: Uh, I don't know, uh, hopefully it will, but that's the kind of thing that I think you find a lot more in more mature open source communities. Uh, it's also the kind of thing you find a lot more in, in the F Sharp community, rather than the C Sharp based uh, .net community.
1: Honest question, mm-hmm. not a troll. Yeah. You said more mature open source communities. The people yeah. may be more mature. But wouldn't it be fair to say that all of those are an order of magnitude smaller? So n- maybe niche is meant to, not meant to be a diminutive, but in, the, in smaller, more I'm... insular communities, can have a developer. When Ruby was coming up and Rails were coming up, sure, DHH would answer questions, but you're not getting tech support from him anymore.
5: Absolutely, no. But on the other hand, he's also not trying to sell something. Um, he, so the, I think it's um, reasonably short-sighted to suggest that things like Ruby and PHP and Node are niche. I mean, They power probably 95 to you know, 99% of, of startups in the US today, and probably worldwide. Uh, between that and Java, I think you know, close to ninety-nine point nine percent is my guess. Um, it's a rather arbitrary number, but it's these things are not niche. The um, the the reasons. So I'm, I'm. The question that I have is whether one thing can can suitably serve everybody. So is it useful to have the same product that people use for building? you know, distributed systems versus the same thing that they used to build their blog. Right? And it's it, it, traditionally, I think that .NET has aimed um, where the money is, which is quite a reasonable thing to do for a commercial company. And they've done that at the expense of people who wanted to build in innovative things. And that seems to be changing. It genuinely seems to be changing. If you can now run this thing on Linux, you can now, uh, you can now build it with tools that don't make you want to kill yourself every time you open them you can... See, why do statements
1: like that helpful? Well, it depends. I mean, no, no, honestly, so, seriously, like I
5: hear what you're saying because I feel like
1: 75% of what you're saying I agree with, mm-hmm. and then 25% is either
5: elitist or mean. So I don't think it's either elitist or mean. At, uh, I think that when so, you say so that, so to that deal with visuals makes you t-
1: want to kill yourself, that is by definition elitist and mean. <laughs> I, thought it was, so, I thought it was by definition visuals to your opening times. I'm did, sorry? I did, I, it, 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 what I'm saying is if you want to welcome, if you want to help build a community, kindness and appreciation for choice is an important factor
5: in that. I agree. Appreciation for choice is absolutely a, a requirement to do anything in that space. If people choose to use Visual Studio, that's great. You know, they they can do that.
1: Well it wasn't great two sentences ago though, is my point. So i
5: so using Visual Studio every time I open Visual Studio. I reevaluate whether I should go and work on a farm castrating pigs. Right? So this is, you are this literally is making my point for me right now. This is something...
4: <laughs> we, we, we,
1: I will it. The phone. If, if there, there was, are people in the audience who are new to .NET two or three years, and I know that they are, I think that they're going to think, gosh, this is not really good. We can't get along on it. at least
5: pick the tool that makes you happy. I, the question is, does it have to? Right? There doesn't have to be a single solution to this. It, it's perfectly so. That if you go and look at the wars between, you know, the wars between editors in the past, the Emacs Vim war, for example, there's not. There's never going to be. These people are never going to accept but that one you, thing is the best. What you describe as a war, I describe
1: as a choice, and I respect their choice. I don't think of it as being a war.
3: And yes. I think generally, when people are like trying to get into software, they're not. Trying to get into a war, they're trying to make cool shit, right? Am I allowed to say that? They're...
2: Yeah, you can definitely say that. They,
3: they just want to yeah. make cool things, right? You're like... going to have to add a beep. Right. Beep.
2: Beep. You beep. Over there. <laughs> we had to beat the
1: Kiwi. <laughs> right?
3: Like, who wants to start a war when they just want to start a blog, right? Certain,
1: I tell you, 15 year old kids that are doing a startup don't want to argue about religious zealotry. Right. Yeah. So, my so point I'm making is evangelize. EMACs, evangelize Vim, or whatever makes you happy, but do it in a way that doesn't dim- diminish another person's choice.
3: I think this is a place where, like, as a .NET community, we have a really important role to play in setting up what our community needs to look like, right? Like, When new people are coming in and they're figuring out how they can contribute to open source projects, things like this, how we treat each other, how we speak to each other, our appreciation for uh, our ability to choose... Is a really important consideration when we're speaking with each other in an open source community. I
0: think we all need to get along.
6: The, um, uh, I think potentially, you know, we, we do see that uh, there is this churn in kind of uh, the language de jour that people want to use, and it may well be to that point, to Scott's point, that one of the reasons is because newer languages on the block are are being very welcoming because they're trying to build community, and then after a certain amount of time, uh, they once they have an established foothold and a number of players in it, they can lose sight of that need to attract people in and they become much less welcoming. I think we've seen a lot of, you know, things come and fade. So maybe, yeah, that is a real challenge this community needs to accept to saying we need to welcome people in. We need to, you know, if you're building OSS projects, you need to make it really easy for someone to say, hey, I want to join in, I want to raise an issue, and I want to get a... a, a, a reasonable response to the issue that I raised that's basically respectful. I want to be able to raise a PR and be treated in a respectful way when I raise a PR. I don't want to participate in... We have to encourage that participation, right?
0: All right, we have time for one question for each of the panel. And it is, what uh, .NET open source project do you think more people need to know about?
5: James. James. Um, I think probably, uh, probably actually reactive UI. Reactive? So reactive UI mm-hmm. uh, is built on top of. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's built on top of reactive extensions, which is another thing that .Net has given to the wider world. Um, that all originated here. Right. The um, uh, reactive UI is without question the best way of building user interfaces,
4: and cool. it's inspired all kinds of other projects elsewhere. Seb, uh, I would hope that um, there will be great suggestions from other people. So I. would would recommend people actually just get involved by talking, chatting, pull-requesting, commenting, being rude if you want, being polite if you want. Let the system select itself, not by judging, criticizing, or belittling, but by engaging. Let the people that f*** up at engaging disappear naturally out of the system instead of preventing them from existing. That's Absolutely. what I would.
2: <laughs> Scott.
1: What? Open source project you think more people should know about? I think that people should know that there are open source projects. That's a good thing. I think that uh, very often I'll meet people, even in, whether it be inside Microsoft or outside, who will say, oh, I'm working on Foo. And then I'll talk all, oh, that's great. That sounds just like Project Bar. And I'll talk, and then they'll go, what's Bar? I've never heard of that. And it's simply because they never lifted their heads up and looked around. So what open source .NET projects should people look at? They should look at all of them.
2: Awesome. Amy?
3: Well, James. James took my (laughs) favourite project, Reactive. So I'm going to have to recommend that people check out my second favourite project, which is Octokit, which Brendan in the back there works on and Phil works on, and they do a fantastic job. If you want to have a good example of like how to build a community and how to interact with people, I really recommend you read the issues and uh, the pull requests that are being raised there. Come and contribute. Exactly,
6: Ian. Um, uh, I think probably the Think Texture stuff. The guys there doing a lot of work with the density, etc. And I think that's a really, really yeah. impressive project. If you go and look at.
0: Very good, and that's the last word. Ian's got it. So a big round of applause for our panel. And we'll see you next time on DotNet Rock)